When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listeners. Welcome back. I'm Nedra Glover-Tawab, and you need to hear this. This week, I want to start by saying that before I had children, I remember talking to many parents and they would say something, you know, about parenting and they would say, well, you don't understand because you don't have kids. And I used to get so irritated, like, what? I do understand. I used to be a kid. I work with kids. But let me tell you, there are some things that I did not understand because I did not have kids. It's challenging to admit that now because I thought I was so right. And guess what? I was right in that moment at that time. I think there are some nuances that although we observe things with children when you're in an actual situation with them, things are very different. And before I had kids, I had these like ideas of firmness and, you know, how things would go. And the way that the universe operates and you are introduced to this child and you raise them from this little tiny being of not even being able to hold their head up to this person who is now talking back, your level of compassion might be a little different when you have an actual child. I was much firmer with younger cousins when I had no kids. (laughs) I was because I was like, oh no, you kids will listen if I'm going to take you to the zoo. You know, it's single file line. Now I am the woman at the zoo or at the children's play. And it's like someone needs to line me and these kids up because everybody here is just out of control. I'm joking, but you get where I'm going with this. That Some of the ideas we have around how things will be when we get to this point, hopefully, you know, our mind changes about those things because we have new information. The relationship is deeper. Maybe, you know, we've had some experiences that have shaped us. Where am I going with all this? So today's letter is from someone who is dealing with the feedback from family members about their parenting. 
I think it's really important for us to, one, consider how we deliver information to people, and two, consider if they even want it. Oftentimes in families, there is this unspoken rule that because we are siblings, because you're my daughter, because you're my son, cousin, whoever, I can say what I feel, right? And it might not be that way in other relationships. It might not be that way in friendships. It's certainly not that way with coworkers. We would withhold. If you saw your coworker's kid doing something, you might continue to just eat your chips at your desk. You might not say anything like, hmm. But if it's your niece, you're like, get off of there, right? Like there is this authority, that we feel, you know, in families with other people's kids. And sometimes it's welcome, like some parents will want the support. And then other times it's not welcome at all. And I really want you to just, if you don't have children, parent yourself. Don't parent my kids, right? Like just, you know, worry about you and your playtime. On the flip side, I think when some kids are being free, when they are being age appropriate, you may not remember yourself being that way. So many of us are emotionally blocked. We didn't have the opportunity to be a certain way in childhood. And so when we see kids behaving in a certain way, it's like, oh, the audacity. If I would have jumped when I was walking, I would have gotten in trouble. And it's like, wow, when you really think about that, that's you couldn't jump while walking. You couldn't, you know, get your shirt wet. Like some of the things that we're advocating for, it's like we need to stop. A few weeks ago, I took my children to the trampoline park. And the hardest part about going to the trampoline park is leaving the trampoline park. All the trickery I have to do. You get in the car, I'll get you some some dipping dots. (laughs) It's it's a whole show, okay? I'm getting these kids out of here and they are just, you know, they've gone from jumping up and down and swinging and all of this stuff. So they kind of, you know, they still in play mode. And I stopped for a minute and I said, wow, my kids are free in a way that I did not know in childhood. They have never been worried about, oh, let me not embarrass my mom. I was worried about those sort of things. You know, it's like if I embarrass my parent, boy, oh boy, would they embarrass me. But my kids, they're they're free. You know, they're like, I'm having a good time. This is a playful environment. I'm going to do four cartwheels before I get to the car. I want to walk on this, you know, those little tall brick things. Everybody get the balance on it. You know, it's, it's just fun, 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 fun. And instead of being irritated by that, I choose to be in admiration of that because that is something that I'm happy that they have the freedom to do. And maybe when I'm walking with my friends, I need to start balancing a little bit on a little brick thing, right? I can't do no cartwheel. That's never been my thing. But, you know, maybe there's a few jumping up and downs that I need to do, at least kicking my feet up and down when I laugh. I don't know. But it reminds me that perhaps because we were not afforded the opportunity to misbehave or to not always be in line. We feel that when kids are afforded that opportunity, like it's this horrible thing and it means something for their life. You know, if your kids don't sit down when you say sit down, 
they're not going to get through college. And it's like, whoa, that's a really tall accusation there. You know, it's a five-year-old. Let's get into today's letter because guess what I could do? Go on and on about this topic. So let's listen and I will chime in as we do. Hi, I have a question relating to my children and my emotionally immature family members. I have three teenagers, one who is diagnosed with ADHD and learning differences, and the other two who are deep-feeling and somewhat impulsive. I am from a large family, and most of my siblings do not have kids, and none of them have teenagers. When we come to family gatherings or holiday visits, some of my siblings cannot tolerate when my children get upset or fight or get dysregulated. If my siblings disagree with how I'm handling the situation with one of my children, they will often intervene and tell them harshly to stop or be quiet and tell me that I can't let my kids get away with things. When I've tried to have conversations with my siblings regarding my children and their needs and how I feel is the best way to parent them, it is almost never productive. They scream and yell and will tell me how unhealthy it is for my children to raise them this way. And I'm raising my children to be inconsiderate and undisciplined. I find that my own family is the least supportive space for me and my children while we are all navigating significant challenges related to having a disability, having a child with a disability, or having a sibling with a disability. I remember reading a book by Iyanla Van Zandt titled The Value in the Valley, and she had an acronym for this phrase that she said, other people's problems, OPP. And this situation made me think of OPP, other people's parenting. We have to figure out what exactly is our business. And in a situation when someone else is parenting, there are things that we have power over. It's not the other person's child, but it is something within us. So if I am observing some misbehaving happening and it's like, oh my gosh, these kids don't listen or they don't do this thing, maybe I can request to have one-on-one time with you away from the kids. Maybe I can figure out some sort of activities that actually occupy them. Maybe there are some conversations that I will have with you one-on-one, but yelling at you at a family gathering, that might not be helpful. That might not be the helpful way. And I understand that with other people's parenting, we feel like it is a them problem when in actuality, what we have considered as good parenting is controlling parenting. If you can control your child to the point of them being quiet, if you can control your child to the point of them not crying, if you can control your child enough to the point of them sitting through this very boring, non-entertaining thing for two hours, you have mastered parenting. And, and I think how, how unfortunate that is for a child of a certain developmental age, whether that is someone in middle school, high school, or primary school, to have that level of control without fear. Because, you know, a lot of that comes with your parent has made you fear them in some way. So that's how they're able to have that level of control. So to have that level of control It requires a certain type of, you know, personality sometimes. And we're talking about children with disabilities. 
We're not talking about atypical children here. We're talking about ADHD and learning differences and, you know, some some things going on. So the insensitivity to the uniqueness of what this situation is, is very challenging to expect someone who has some challenges in some way to perform as everyone else would is quite difficult. And you can't make a person understand, right? Like you can't make your family member understand, like, guess what? You know, here's the thing, here's the testing. And because some people don't, you know, sometimes people, I've I've seen folks look at, you know, uh, IEP or some diagnostic testing and it says like, oh, this is the thing. This is the mental health diagnosis. But there's this idea like, no, this kid is just choosing this. They're just choosing this bad behavior in this moment. And I'm bad in air quotes to disrupt this situation. And if you have something um, such as ADHD, you know, it's impulsiveness is sort of built into that, right? Or some inattentive or, you know, something is built into that. And that's not to say you'll never be able to control it, but it's a work in progress. And there are certain ways that we have to handle situations when people have identified diagnoses of some sort. With our families, educating them might be really helpful. Not just saying, hey, this person has ADHD or they have this learning difference, but this is how it manifests. This is how we have been taught to address it. So as I'm talking to my child, you might hear me redirect them in this way. Actually, this thing that you're doing now, it doesn't work. It triggers them more. So maybe teaching them some of the skills you've learned to deal with your children. A lot of, you know, some of their ideas, again, it goes back to, some of the ways in which your siblings may have been parented or some of the, you know, ideas that they see with their other children. You know, it makes me think of children being in restaurants. And this is another thing I had to, you know, I had to have a moment around. When I see little, especially like little babies in restaurants and, you know, parents usually will set them up with some distraction thing. Like, I'm going to give you four apples and an orange. Just play with this, you know, play with your little thing. And the baby's just throwing it on the floor. Then they, yeah! you know, they start causing a scene. And, you know, you have some folks who will say like, oh, my gosh, this child. And I'm like, it's a baby in a restaurant. Like, first off, their attention span, super short. They're not watching Bluey or something fun. They're sitting here watching people talk about something they can't even engage in. And all they have is apples to stare at. How boring. <laughs> like, I'm just thinking, this is the most boring thing for a baby to be doing. Have we thought about this baby in this scenario? I'm feeling for the baby. <laughs> Just like somebody, please do some some raspberry blows or something. Let's entertain this baby. I hear that all the adults are annoyed, but developmentally, this baby is responding appropriately. I think we don't we don't think about that. We don't think about like how hard it must be to not interrupt an adult when you feel like you have something really urgent to say. We're talking about kids here, right? Like, so a child's most urgent thing might be, 
we have a new girl coming to my classroom and they may interrupt you. <laughs> you could be in the middle of, oh my gosh, my trauma and I just bumped my knee and they're like, I have a new kid in my class. You know, a, a lot of parenting <laughs> is teaching children how to be people because they don't have these skills. And if our expectation is like, well, they should know that they shouldn't interrupt me, where would they learn it? They're, they're not getting the education in the womb. <laughs> you know, there's, there's no instruction in there for those nine months. And so everything starts on the outside and we are teaching them, hey, I, I know that, that, thank you for telling me that that's super important. However, when you see me talking, you know, you just throw your little finger up and I will just, I'll throw mine up to let you know that I see you. And when I'm ready to say something, I will, I will call your name. You know, you redirect them. You give them some instruction. You will have to repeat that. Perhaps our family members don't know that because they're used to being a kid. You get bopped in the head or something for interrupting. So that's how you learn. Oh, I am not going to interrupt because they're going to slap me in it. You know, so we may be parenting in a different way. We are parenting with new techniques that the people around us may not have. And so just letting them know what you're doing, perhaps it could help. Or if it is not helping, you will have to figure out some strategies to be in relationship with these family members and not disrupt the flow of your family. We'll pause here and we'll be back soon. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle. And I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the last few months, I decided I no longer wanted to spend the holidays with my family because of this. My husband and I took my children on a vacation for the holidays, and it was lovely. However, my children kept telling me they missed going to the extended family. They keep asking when we are going back and if we are going to go for the next holiday. I don't know where to begin to explain this to them. I really don't want to tell them how my family is being judgmental regarding their challenges and disabilities. But I also don't want to keep giving vague answers since I know that can be unsettling for them. I told them I myself prefer to either stay home for the holidays or take a vacation, but my kids say it's not fair because they want to go to the extended family. I want to protect them from my family, but also not explain how badly my family has been acting and how negatively my family views my kids and myself. I'm worried that if my kids know how negatively they are viewed by my siblings and how judgmental my siblings are, it will be very hurtful for them. I feel trapped trying to look out for what's best for my kids and not having them get hurt. What do our kids need to know and when do they need to know it? What is our motivation for telling them? There are things that could be helpful for them to know, and there are things that could be harmful for them to know. For them to know, you know, your uncle doesn't really like you. I don't see the helpfulness in that. You know, you really get on your aunt's nerves. I'm not hearing the helpfulness in that. And let's face it, we can get on people's nerves and they still love us. That's why your kids are still longing for them. Because even though they have some, some behaviors and your family complains or, or tries to redirect it, your kids are still feeling some love from that family. So there is tons of things happening. And then there's moments of disruption with, with behaviors. And so it sounds like two things are true. There are some good times and there are some not so good times. And so I would wonder if pulling them away from the family that they want to be around is helpful. And maybe there are some other times to spend together outside of the holidays. Do you ever invite them into your children's world? Do you say, hey, we're going to an amusement park or hey, let's take them to the movies? Like, 
what sort of interactions do your family have with the kids outside of like holidays and family gatherings? Like maybe there are other things that can pull them into the lives of your children where they can actually get to know them and maybe build a tolerance around some of these misbehaviors or some of these these things that your family may be having issues with. One of the things that connects us to children is knowing them deeply. And we can build our compassion around that. If we only see them in in one sort of way, it's very hard to be compassionate when they're misbehaving. We're like, just stop this behavior. Like, I don't have any sensitivities to these other things. So it might be helpful to not necessarily pull away, but lean into in a different way, like explore what that could look like outside of just holidays or, or family gatherings. I hear you saying that you don't want to tell them that this is the case with your family. And I am saying to you that what is the point of saying it? Do you want them to have negative opinions or views of your family? Or are you trying to help them deepen the connection? I wonder how much of this is about you and your relationships with your your siblings. How many hard conversations have you had around their parenting philosophies? How many hard conversations have you had around the ADHD and the learning differences and the impulsive behaviors? Sometimes when we are talking to people, we may not realize that what we're sharing, that they're trying to protect us. So if you're sharing, oh my gosh, the other day when Stephen came home, he did X, Y, and Z, and it was so annoying to me, your siblings may be trying to come to your rescue in those moments. Like, you're not about to annoy my sister. (laughs) Stop talking to my sister like that, right? Like, they're not even thinking like, oh my gosh, this is a child. It's like, no, I see my sister frustrated. I see her, you know, at these appointments and doing these things. And it's like, I'm trying to protect you from these kids. I'm trying to get them together so you will not have these stories. And I see how, you know, when we're at these gatherings, you're running around and maybe you're frazzled or you're having these, you know, soft conversations. And I see them as harming you and disrespecting you. And my energy is coming from a place of protection and love. It's not actually coming from a place of, I don't like my nephews. (laughs) It's like, No, I'm trying to be a big brother here and defend you (laughs) against these kids. You know, I, I say sometimes, if my ancestors are watching this moment in parenting, they might spank my kids because they might say I'm being soft right now. Because the the protection that people might have for us is not necessarily like, oh my gosh, like these kids are terrible. It's like, I love you so much. I don't want to hear them talking to you like this. It's so offensive to me to observe this interaction. I've been in therapy sessions with teenagers and their parents. And there are some teenagers where I'm just like, oh my gosh, you are reckless at the mouth. I mean, I I can't even listen to you talk to your mother like that. Now, your mother, she might tolerate it. Not in this room, though, because in this room, 
you will not talk to her like that. Now, when y'all step in the hallway and get in the car, you could go back to yelling and cussing and all that stuff. But kids don't cuss. <laughs> not here. So all of this profanity you have, save that for your listening and music. I, I don't want to hear that here. So in this space, we will be respectful. What your mother tolerates may be different from what I tolerate. What your father tolerates, it might be different from what I tolerate. So just in how you speak to people, I want you to be assertive. I want you to be clear, but I don't want you to be rude. I don't want you to be derogatory. And we don't have to use any profanity. Everything that you're saying can be whispered. <laughs> Everything that you're saying can be delivered in a way that doesn't cause you to yell or demean. Right? So, how do you say this in a way where you can convey? that you don't like this thing or that this this thing isn't working for you or you feel controlled and that you could say that without you know being disrespectful because i feel a need to protect this adult at least in front of me so i i, I know sometimes you may feel like oh it's so annoying for them to you know say something to my kids but perhaps teaching them how to address those situations, what might be more appropriate. Like sometimes it's it takes people to help us with our children. You know, the saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Everybody in that village is going to have a different perspective and personality. And kids need that. When kids have a firm teacher, it's like they need a firm teacher to even appreciate the teacher who's always giving out goldfish. They need a, a firmer adult to be able to understand like, oh, you can't talk to everybody in this. You know, so we need different people. And if we're trying to make everybody this sort of way, it can it can teach kids that, you know, everybody has to cater you and, you know, all of these sorts of things. When in actuality, you live in a world and uncle so-and-so, he's, he's not going to, you know, yell and all of these things. These are the things that you try to correct. But he might want to talk to you if he hears you yelling at me. He may intervene if, you know, you slam a door, you know, like, so how do other people get to be a part of that village? That's what you're talking about with your family. I want that support. I want some level of connection. Um, and I understand, like, maybe you don't understand, like, how, you know, the symptoms of ADHD and what impulsiveness looks like in kids. But when this is happening, it would be helpful if. Give them some ideas because they don't know. They're doing what they think is appropriate, which doesn't seem to be working. So give them some ideas around, okay, so if this thing is happening, here's a way that you can intervene. You started off by saying, that your family members were emotionally immature. <sighs> I think about this when I think about emotional immaturity. If they are immature, how do I maintain my maturity in this situation with them? I, I mentioned earlier the parenting philosophy if you embarrass me, I'm gonna embarrass you. You know, it's like a match. Right. But emotional maturity says that I can be composed when you are dysregulated. I can 
maintain a certain level of energy when you are doing these other things. As you've grown in your parenting, that has probably gotten better. You have teenagers, so you've had a lot of practice with this that they don't have. And so, yeah, they may be, you know, in this in this phase of like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. You know, if you cry, I'm going to start crying with you, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, they may not understand how that is actually not helpful behavior for a situation. Now, you don't have to sit them down and give them, you know, all of your notes from whatever book you've read on emotional maturity. But it might be helpful to just, again, let them know some ways to address the situation or connect with your kids. It doesn't mean that they'll be open to it, but at least you're giving them the option of doing something different. Just saying to them, you know, the kids have, you know, these diagnoses and this is why I'm doing these things. That might not be enough because they may not have the understanding that you have. And from what I'm hearing, this is an important matter to you. And it seems like the kids still want to be in relationship and they're not even noticing some of these things. So how can you talk to your family about some of the things that you're observing and some of the ways that you would want them to respond? You need to hear this. One thing that can be really helpful for us when we observe some behaviors that we would rather not see from other people is pausing. We don't have to respond to it. We may not need to fix it. It might not be our thing, but just stepping back and seeing if the situation can work itself out. And if the people involved, the direct people involved can't work it out and we really cannot observe something, we have the opportunity to not watch it. I can leave the room. I can go and sit for in my car. I could go for a walk. I can leave this space because something is unfolding here that I would rather not see. So try observing and pausing. You Need to Hear This is an iHeart production hosted by me, Nedra Glover-Tawab. Our executive producer is Joelle Bonique. Our senior producer and editor is Mia Dawn Taylor. Send us a voice memo with your questions about boundaries and relationships at youneedtohearthis at iheartmedia.com. Please be sure to rate our show wherever you listen to it and share this episode with someone who needs to hear this. Talk to you next time. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at at First first listen. Listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 